This is an RNZ podcast. This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. Newspapers have been shrinking in the digital era, along with the ads that pay the bills. But one area bucking the trend big time these days is travel. On any given day now, more than half the ads in a newspaper are for airlines, overseas trips or fancy long cruises. And the weekly travel supplements are getting fatter too, and there are even dedicated podcasts. You've got the Travel Mag, which is every Tuesday, also every Sunday. But, as you say, an extra cruise special glossy magazine. And it's the first ever glossy. Is that right? right. This week we ask a travel editor and a newspaper boss about all that and a new initiative they've got to boost ads in print by trying to make them more clever and creative. But first, we look at a travel story that's about what's not taking off this summer. Kia ora, good evening. 14,000 Air New Zealand passengers have had their summer holiday plans disrupted due to ongoing global problems with Dreamliner planes. The airline's cancelled 82 international flights over the Christmas period as a number of aircraft require engine checks. Laura James has more. That was TVNZ1 News last Monday when the lead story was those cancelled Air New Zealand Dreamliner flights coming up in the summer. Aviation commentator Irene King told TVNZ this. Now they're going through um, you know, a fairly rigorous check regime to make sure that they've actually caught the problem because obviously you, know, you don't want the problem to escalate. And in New Zealand certainly didn't want that. Next up, Brent Thomas from the House of Travel Company told TBNZ it wasn't just the passengers with flights who would be affected by this. They're going to have accommodation, car rentals, getting from to another flight. So there's a whole myriad of things that are going to go on trying to sort out this issue for each customer. But what was the problem with the Dreamliners in the first place? Well, reporter Laura James said that high-pressure blades in the turbines needed to be checked in the Singapore workshops of the engine maker Rolls-Royce. But that was it. Meanwhile, over on News Hub at 6, their report had more detail on that from an expert. The issue affects the high-pressure turbine blade known as the HPT blade, which is a very, very small blade at the first stage of the turbine. This blade takes all of the power out of the airflow and helps drive the big fan on the front of the engine. Now, News Hub at 6 didn't say who that was, but it was Air New Zealand's senior fleet manager for the Dreamliners, Captain Dave Wilson, who actually flies those planes. And we knew that because we'd seen him earlier in the day in an online video news story on the News Hub website. On top of a chilled-out soundtrack, Captain Wilson went into much more detail about those high-pressure blades and why that meant they had to cancel the flights. The blade has been operating at temperatures a little bit more than what it was designed to operate at. Since we've been notified by Rolls-Royce of the issue, we've had to increase the number of um, boroscopes that we're doing on the engine. Between now and the end of March, what it means is that we have to carry out 150 boroscopes on our engines. Now, News Hub didn't make it clear, but that video of Captain Wilson saying all that came from Air New Zealand itself. The same video was also posted on the Herald website's online stories soon after Air New Zealand announced the cancellations on Monday morning. And Captain Wilson ended the video with this reassuring comment. I'm 100% confident in the operation of the 787 fleet. I fly the 787 aircraft myself and I know that every passenger that flies on the 787 is in the best hands. The same confident comments from Captain Wilson were also hosted by Stuff in its online news story with this caption underneath. Air New Zealand senior fleet manager Dave Wilson discusses the Rolls-Royce engine issue. 
But Captain Wilson wasn't discussing that. It was a handout prepared by the airline itself. And any journalist quizzing anyone from Air New Zealand about all this would probably have mentioned that it's not the first time that summertime disruption has been caused by Dreamliner engine trouble, as Stuff's story below the video pointed out like this. It's the latest in a series of engine-related travel disruptions for Air New Zealand over the past two years, with more than 200 flights cancelled in that time, thousands more disrupted and tens of thousands of customers' travel plans thrown into turmoil. But thanks to the media's willingness to use self-selected comment from Air New Zealand's own man in that video, it was able to set the tone. And there was more where they came from in another Air New Zealand video featuring Air New Zealand's Customer Care and Communications Manager, Doug Grant. Both the Herald and the Stuff sites, as well as News Hub, featured Mr Grant saying that the cancellations were regrettable, but Air New Zealand had things in hand. We'd really like to thank our customers once again for their ongoing patience and understanding. We've got a really hard-working team here at Air New Zealand who are doing everything they can to ensure our customers get to their destination at this really important time of the year. And that wasn't the only time in the video that Mr Grant mentioned just how hard Air New Zealand's people were working on this. Barely two hours after Air New Zealand announced the cancellations, these reassuring words from Doug Grant from that video supplied by Air New Zealand were in the lead story of News Talk ZB's Midday Bulletin. Customer Care and Communications Manager Doug Grant says about 14,000 customers will be affected. We don't underestimate for a second that that can be disruptive for some people and we're doing what we can to lessen that. We've got a really hard-working team that is working closely on that right now. On Monday evening, RNZ's Checkpoint had questions about what they called problem-plagued engines, but they couldn't get Air New Zealand to answer them. And so they also fell back on the supplied video comment. Air New Zealand didn't respond to RNZ's request for an interview. But in a video clip, Doug Grant from the National Carrier says they thought the engine issues would be fixed by Christmas, but they're still in the queue at Rolls-Royce repair shop. So we are having to make some changes to our schedule to minimise the overall impact. Now, Checkpoint was the only outlet, so far as MediaWatch knows, to specify that Air New Zealand had refused to front questions on that and to explain to the listeners and viewers that what they were seeing and hearing was prepped and supplied by the airline itself. And TVNZ was the only news outlet which chose not to air Air New Zealand's handout videos as news or publish them online. And it appears that these videos were specifically made with the news media in mind. You won't find them on any of Air New Zealand's social media feeds. So with its handouts, Air New Zealand ensured that the pair that was handpicked by the airline were the only voices to be heard delivering its message. Now Brent Thomas is the director of the Travel Agents Association of New Zealand, as well as an executive at House of Travel. Brent Thomas was back again the next morning on the AM show, answering a question from host Mark Richardson, which really should have been answered by the airline or the manufacturers. Because I, I think back when people were talking about the 787 Dreamliner, it was going to revolutionise travel. It was going to make airfares cheaper. We're going to get further for less. And now look what's happened. I mean, you've got to fly to San Francisco on an old freight from Israeli Air or something. Yeah, I mean, the Dreamliner is an amazing plane inside. It's the, the inside the cabin there is fantastic for the consumer. There's just this one issue around these uh, Rolls-Royce engines. There are other engines on other plane, on Dreamliners that are working fine. So it's a matter of uh, getting the Rolls-Royce engine sorted. Well, that, of course, is much easier said than done. And that was a point that was picked up by media in Australia, where many of those whose flights have been cancelled will suffer. On News Talk ZB's drive show, another Australian aviation expert, Jeff Thomas, made this point. This is not an Air New Zealand problem. Mm-hmm. It is not a Boeing problem. It is a Rolls-Royce problem. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it is a massive problem for Rolls-Royce. It's been going on now for three years. 
And that's a fair point. Air New Zealand is a victim of all this and its passengers, but it is our national carrier and more than half of it is owned on our behalf by the government. And as the media's job is to cover news on our behalf, it would be far better to interact with them when issues like that arise rather than try and manage the message with its own video comment. As we've heard, Air New Zealand's Dreamliner hassles made plenty of headlines this past week, and so did a recent couple of Qantas flights from Australia, most notably one last weekend which left overheated and angry passengers stuck at Ohakia Air Force Base. But the media are just interested in travel that goes wrong. It's a big aloha from Hawaii. Very nice. From Dubai, Vince takes in the sights and sounds of this desert oasis. Is Dubai family friendly? My kids would be so jealous right now. That's the Hello World Travel Show, which screens at 5.30 on Saturday each weekend on 3. And as you could tell from the accents, this is a thoroughly Australian show with distinctly Aussie hosts who are pretty enthusiastic about everything they see. This place has got everything. Alexander McQueen, Carolina Herrera, Burberry, Prada, Gucci, Jimmy Choo. Note to self, do not bring wife here. The Hello World show is a partnership between the travel agency Hello World Travel Limited and the TV broadcaster The Seven Network in Australia. So it's pretty much one big brochure. Viewers are urged to check out special deals to the featured destinations following each segment and they're on offer from the New Zealand outlets of the company. Now at the moment, this is the only show on our main TV channels dedicated to tourism and travel. There are plenty more on pay TV and minor channels, but it's not big business on free-to-air TV anymore. But in our newspapers, travel is a very big deal, and so is travel advertising. Now this is an era in which we're constantly told newspaper adverts are drifting online, with the likes of Google and Facebook getting the vast bulk of the digital ad revenue. And we hear more about a new effort to fight back against that later in the programme. But travel seems to be bucking the trend in a big way. All our metropolitan daily papers these days have a weekend travel supplement, and so do the Sunday papers. And in some papers, the big display ads for airlines, package holidays, agencies and cruise ship companies easily make up the majority of the ad space on any given day. On Tuesday the 1st of October, for instance, the Herald was boasting of a record-breaking two travel magazines. In addition to a bumper 48-page edition of its regular weekly one, it also published a 56-page special on cruises, packed with stories and lucrative ads. And in these multimedia times, it's not just about what's in the paper. Earlier this year, the Herald's publisher NZME launched a supporting podcast called Trip Notes, hosted by Tim Roxburgh from the Herald's sister station News Talk ZB, alongside NZME's travel editor Stephanie Holmes. We're doing a special episode just about cruising, talking to Judith about her travels by ship. Yeah, yeah, and, and the whole thing is because you've got the travel mag, which is every Tuesday, also every Sunday in the Herald, but as you say, an extra cruise special glossy magazine and it's yeah. the first ever glossy is that's that right? right that's first right first ever so glossy for the herald if you're listening in new zealand go out and get a copy today yeah, yeah. <laughs> so whether you've done eight cruises or whether you've never done one before yeah um, oh no i always read the travel um section that's don't right. you Thank worry you. Yes, always. <laughs> and these days they don't often miss a chance to extract some extra content from any travel related talking point 
For example, back in July, New Zealand Herald columnist Jared Gilbert wrote a cranky column about people reclining their seats on a plane flight, which sparked a fair few comments below the line. And never one to spurn an engagement opportunity, ZB host Heather Duplessy-Allen hit back at him and her column for the Herald on Sunday. Use it or lose it, because before you know, they'll be cutting back on that like they cut back on Koru Club newspapers, and we'll all be sitting bolt upright for the entire flight. Do you want that? The reclining airline seat is, of course, not under threat, but it provided a handy talking point for the Trip Notes podcast that week. What about reclining? Where do we sit on the recline or not recline issue? Never recline. Never? never. No, I think if it's long haul, I think if it's long haul and the lights go out, all bets are off. No, I I have a reason. It's not just being a, a good guy. Um, it's a that stupid b- guy. <laughs> Seventeen hours. You're not going to recline your seat. Come on. Are you always up in the business no. class, Timmy? But while that's essentially travel trivia, there are important issues that the travel industry is also facing, and which travel journalism should also be confronting. In mid-October, one edition of the Sunday Star Times travel supplement called Escape was dedicated to sustainable tourism. And under the bold heading, should we still travel the world when we're ruining it, Stuff's travel editor Trupti Birada wrote this. By the end of 2019, I'll have taken three long-haul flights to the USA, Europe and India. I will have flown more than 83,000 kilometres and generated more than 6,000 kilograms of CO2 emissions. To put that in perspective, I will have been responsible for melting more than 59 square metres of Arctic sea ice. Imagine an area like a queen-size bed. Now multiply that by 20. Tripti Biradar went on to announce that Stuff had hooked up with Air New Zealand's carbon offsetting scheme Fly Neutral. An all-Stuff travel story, she said, will now include the carbon emissions of the trip and a link to purchase carbon credits online. And she also said Stuff currently purchases carbon offsets for all its travelling reporters. But Tripti Biradar also said promotion of travel is still important. There's a real danger of becoming insular without those experiences. There's also a necessity to report firsthand from countries heaving under the pressure of over-tourism and a necessity to inspire our readers to visit destinations that support local businesses and need your tourist dollar. So does that mean that really the sustainability of newspapers trumps that of the environment for media companies that can ill afford not to exploit a rare area of reliable income? And how have the papers held on to the travel advertising anyway when online operators have cornered so much of the ad market for other stuff? Those are questions I put to Stuff's general manager of newspapers, Ben Rose, and the travel editor at Stuff, Trupti Birada. Travel is a lot more affordable and a lot more accessible than it ever used to be. There are so many more options out there, and I think with that will obviously come increased advertising, and that allows us to have more editorial space to tell great stories. Well, I think the reason there are so many travel ads in newspapers is because lots of people read newspapers. Um, so so two, two-thirds of New Zealanders read a newspaper every single week. Importantly for travel, the sort of person who tends to read a newspaper um, is likelier to be a baby boomer, they're likelier to have disposable income and be the sort of person 
who has the discretionary income to go on a cruise and go on a holiday. You know, digital is very strong at frequency and at, um, you know, being, being super targeted. If you want to talk to somebody um, about passing with quite a large amount of cash for something, then, you know, newspapers are a good place to do it because they, you can go into depth about what they get for their money. And it also it's an environment that they've, they've grown up knowing and trusting. And so it just, just carries a little bit more credibility than perhaps if they saw a, you know, a banner whiz by on social media. Is the income from travel then becoming absolutely critical to, you know, the continued survival and existence of, of your papers in New Zealand? Important, absolutely becoming increasingly important to us. I wouldn't say it's becoming important to the survival of newspapers because what, as long, you know, as long as people choose to consume this medium and pay for it, it'll, it'll be there. So, we, you know, we, we don't really think in terms of um, the, the death of print or the survival of print, but absolutely travel is really important to us as a category. And I don't expect you to give away your commercial secrets, but um, with the volume of the ads and, and the, the number of companies uh, advertising you know, day after day, week after week, are there like deals in place that extend for months and even maybe even years? Are, are they that bolted in that, um, that part of the furniture of producing a, a, a newspaper these days? Yes, there are. Yeah, there are. So the companies who really see the value in, in print will commit to longer term spends and in return for that, they'll get more value than if someone just turned up and bought, bought an ad ad hoc. Well, Tripti, earlier we talked about the audience expectation. Uh, they, they're expecting things other than just an article and a few photos. You've just returned from taking some stuff readers to <laughs> India. Uh, and I know that uh, earlier this year, I think there was a trip to China. The editor of Stuff, uh, Patrick Crudson, was uh, part of the team guiding the, uh, the, the readers who went on, on the trip. Is this becoming a, a regular thing and perhaps an important part of travel journalism now, giving the readers actually the opportunity to, to tag along? The Telegraph and the Sydney Morning Herald do this on quite a large scale. Historically, we've always done reader tours, so it's not um, extremely new. The Press, the Dominion Post, and the Sunday Star Times, we do reader uh, reader tours where we invite our readers to take a train journey either through the North or the South Island with the editors of those papers. And I think... I think readers really value spending time with the editors of the papers they're loyal to. And I think it's also a really great way for us to connect with our readers, spend time with them and, you know, learn new ways that we can serve them better. Uh, with the India trip, um, the idea there was that we would try to take our readers to a country that maybe they found a little intimidating to go to on their own. And so they could see a country with Kiwis who had a special connection to that country. So we travelled with um, Graham Waters, who's a former diplomat. He served in India twice, once as the Deputy High Commissioner to Sir Edmund Hillary, and then he was High Commissioner himself. Um, we also travelled with um, Jacob Rajan, who's an actor and playwright. You may know his name from Krishnan's Dairy. Mm -hmm. um, he is the son of immigrant parents from India. And so while he was born and raised in New Zealand, he has quite a strong connection to India. And, you know, he gave us a, a little bit of an exclusive performance of a few scenes from Krishnan's Dairy. And it was just a special thing that we could offer our readers. Stuff now does a lot of things beyond just publishing papers. It's involved in other businesses and video on demand and even energy and so on. Uh, could we one day see Stuff Tours, the travel agency? Possibly. I wouldn't say no, but uh, you never know. <laughs> I, think, I think one of the things about, about our business is, um, you know, like, like media companies all around the world, we've got to try new things, and we certainly do. And that's our, our, our strategy um, 
to date has, has been that, so I think we would never say no to an opportunity. Uh, recently, uh, you had a special edition in the Sunday Star Times which focused on the issue of sustainability. Is it now an important part of travel journalism to focus on big industry issues like that and not just the kind of you know, consumer aspect of the destinations, the trips and the, the choices? Definitely. And I think it's something that we've always done. We're of the view that if we promote destinations and celebrate all the positive positive aspects that travel offers, then we need to be quite upfront about the implications of that as well. Um, at Stuff and my personal view as well is that climate change is real and it is caused by human activity. And in the past, we hadn't really addressed this view in our travel coverage so we basically decided that we do need to be quite upfront about, uh, you know, the implications if you were to take the trips that we promote. So we started including um, carbon emission information in all our features just to give New Zealanders more information and an easy way to offset their emissions if they choose to do so. But on the whole, our strategy is always evolving. And, you know, we've um, decided that we're going to report more on overcrowded spots around the world and, you know, how countries are heaving under the pressure of over-tourism. We're going to tell our readers um, how to be more responsible, how to holiday at home instead of going overseas or how to consider taking the train instead of a flight or, you know, little things like cutting out single-use plastic or carrying your own water bottle or companies and airlines, um, their green initiatives. I think it's just a really important conversation that we need to keep having. But Ben, isn't this a bit of a worry for you if you're worried about the bottom line and the volume of advertising? If this is a big growth area, you don't want to go cutting it back by telling readers that, you know, travelling less on long haul things would be better for the environment. You know, it's kind of a contradiction for you, isn't it? Well, I mean, the travel industry is growing, but it's changing. So our job is to stay relevant and make sure that, you know, we're changing with it. Readers have have told us that how important sustainability is to us. And, you know, we we recently um, started talking under the um, Quick Save the Planet banner. Advertisers have said the same thing. It's important to them as well. And and advertisers are are grappling with how do do they um, tell their stories? How do they play a role in it? So um, commercially, no, we're, we're not concerned, but absolutely it's a transformation we're all going through. Indeed, and, and Tripti, I saw in your um, sustainability supplement recently an organisation called Treadright, uh, a kind of not-for-profit uh, joint initiative between a, a bunch of travel brands, um, and they're saying they want their customers to think about it. Definitely. I think more and more we're seeing companies that have you know goals of becoming carbon neutral, goals of... Um, um, evolving their technology so uh, they they aren't polluting the planet as much as they are. And every company that we work with is talking to us about how they are evolving and they are changing. And I think, as Ben said, travel is growing, but it is changing, and we need to find ways to stay relevant, I think. Yeah, that Treadride organisation urges people to sign up to its pledge to make my travel matter, you know, for our planet, our people, our wildlife. But it's kind of vague. It says, I will do my best to tread right. I'll do single-use plastics recycle when I can. I won't uh, support any, any animal cruelty. And, I mean, these are nice things, but I guess if you're taking a cruise ship a long distance or a long-haul flight from New Zealand to the other side of the world, I mean, as you pointed out in your piece where you calculated the actual you know, Arctic sea ice you might have burned up on your own long-haul travel, I mean, that's really where the environmental uh, impact comes. Um, it is a tricky line to walk, but I think we're quite clear on what is causing these things and what, what the steps are that we can take to be more responsible about it. And Colin, I'd, I'd also say, as, as a business, um, while we know this is important to us, we haven't 
cracked exactly how we're going to approach it through every different part of our organisation. So, so it's something that we're working through at the moment, and I think um, you know you, you'll see developments coming out over over the future. But while it's simple for us to um, you know take a, take an editorial position. As a as a as a big business, it's more complex for us to work out exactly what that means to us. But we absolutely are taking it very seriously and doing that actively. We purchase carbon offsets for any of our reporters who travel, and we're also hoping that we can encourage any of our readers who travel to consider doing the same. So we um, have taken the stance of directing our readers to Air New Zealand's um, fly neutral program because. Um, I, as I understand it, less than 5% of Kiwis actually offset their carbon emissions. Um, and Air New Zealand's program just makes it quite easy to do that. And uh, if you offset your carbon um, emissions through their program, it helps fund emission reduction projects within New Zealand and in the countries in the airlines network. So it makes it quite relevant for us. But travel journalism, I guess, is now kind of uh, arranged between the providers of the of the attractions, the publishers, and you know the, the journalists that that write it as a career. Um, yes. So, in order for travel journalists to be able to get out there and actually experience things and report firsthand, we need to be able to um, accept support from a lot of these companies. Like we, as a newsroom, are not financially able to do that without support. But what we do do is we disclose on all our content if um, if a company has supported our travel and we approach our content completely editorially. So um, it wouldn't be swayed by someone who supported our trip, for instance. But often they'll say, look, you know, we can support your travel, the angle and the story that you write and what you do with it is completely up to you. Um, we would just like you to come experience what we have to offer. And the reality of the situation is if something went wrong, we would give them the right of reply, of course, like, you know, that's standard practice in journalism. But more often than not, nothing goes wrong. And, you know, we're able to write a story that inspires our readers to try something that might not have been on their radar before. But, but so, if, if a company has provided the, uh, the facilitated the event, um, mm-hmm. are you likely to publish a story or is the journalist likely to write one that includes the negative stuff in it or the drawbacks of the trip? Yes. So if there are drawbacks, if there are negatives, um, and if those are pertinent to the reader, then our stance is always that, yes, our loyalty is to the reader not to the uh, company that has supported our travel. And it has happened in the past that, you know, we've accepted a trip, something has not gone to plan, we've published a story, and that company has come back to us and asked us to edit the edit the story and take the bits that they were unhappy about out. And editorially, we sat, sat them down and said, look, unless it is factually incorrect, we're not changing anything. And in the end, they were happy and they understood the difference between sponsored content and editorial content. We said to them, if you want to control your messaging, you need to be buying an ad, you need to be buying sponsored content. When you send a journalist on a trip, you're accepting that they are going to say what they are going to say and you have no control over that. And that's why editorial content has that credibility and we're never going to undermine that. That was Tripti Buradar, the travel editor for Stuff, and earlier we heard from the general manager of newspapers at the company, Ben Rose. More from him in a minute.
As we heard there, Stuff is trying to reconcile its commitment to sustainability with the need to make crucial revenue from ads and articles promoting travel, which creates carbon emissions that harm the environment. And also pondering this this week, the British band Coldplay, who announced they won't be flying around the world on tour to promote their latest album because of their concerns about the climate, as singer Chris Martin explained to the BBC on Friday. We're taking time over the next year or two to work out how can not only our tour be sustainable, but how can it be actively beneficial? How can we harness the resources that our tour creates and make it have a positive impact? The hardest thing is uh, the flying side of things. And earlier this week, Coldplay's alternative strategy for promoting their upcoming album was a one-off bonanza for the Otago Daily Times, as News Hub at Six reported last Tuesday. Coldplay are one of the world's biggest bands. Now they've released full song lyrics for their upcoming album through 15 unique advertisements in Tuesday's Otago Daily Times. But obscure one-off marketing stunts by foreign pop bands isn't really a dependable source of ad revenue for New Zealand's papers. However, the biggest publishers of papers here, Stuff, reckon that the marketers underestimate the power and presence of old-fashioned display ads in our papers. And it's giving away what it says is half a million dollars of advertising space to the winner of a new competition called Paper Planes, rewarding New Zealand's most creative and innovative uses of the print media for advertising. The veteran British ad man Sir John Hegarty has been engaged to pick a winner early next year. So this week I asked Stuff General Manager of Newspapers Ben Rose whether creative ads and papers were really the most effective ones that really cut through with readers in the digital age. It's more a perception that um, print, print's a boring medium without creative potential that tends to uh, pervade agencies and, um, and, and, and some brands. So we, we wanted to do something to um, really remove that barrier and show big national brands just how creative a medium print can be. But does, so, does creativity make a huge difference, though, Ben? Because I'm wondering, aren't those old school display ads, you know, with just the prices and the pictures of products um, where you can compare, you know, one whiteware retailer with another, uh, aren't they just as effective as, you know, the, the clever, sophisticated ones, almost, you know, news you can use for the consumer? It's, it's no different to any other medium, to be honest. So th- those ads absolutely still have their place and they continue to generate results for, for advertisers. Having said that, um, there really are um, endless limits of what you can do in print advertising, and that seems to be something that um, advertisers, advertisers, and their agencies have, have forgotten. So, uh, the positioning, the size, the context, the even the ink and the paper we use. There are so many things that can be done, and that you know, creative advertisers have done around the world. We think there's room for for both, um, you know, the hardworking retail style of advertising, but also something a little a little bit smarter that's going to cut through a little bit more. And back in September, I note that the uh, Newsworks New Zealand, which I think is basically the old newspapers publishers association, um, hosted an event where they had uh, experts and even neuroscientists presenting research about how people's brains responded to content in different mediums. What happens in people's brains when they're looking at a, a newspaper ad that you'd say might make it more or less effective? 
they used brain imaging technology on 120 New Zealanders, that the objective was to work out whether or not the hunch that, you know, biased people like me have that newspapers provide a, a really high level of engagement, whether or, whether or not that hunch was true. Um, so they, they took 120 people, different ages, ethnic backgrounds, like a, you know, representative mix of New Zealanders, to measure how their brains actually responded in real time when they were watching TV and when they were watching, uh, uh, reading a newspaper. Does this involve and, a bit of sort of electrodes stuck on the skulls of um, your... There were lots group? of electrodes, yeah, there, there were lots of electrodes. But, but really it was, it was to put some, some data around um, the results and see, you know, how, how much do they pay attention and how much of the content do they actually remember? Because really, as an advertiser, that's what you care about. And uh, pleasingly, the results show that when they read a newspaper, they were far more focused on, on what they were doing than, uh, than with other media. Um, and they had much higher levels of intensity, emotional intensity, uh, when reading both the stories but also looking at the advertising than when they were watching TV. So, so that we thought was really interesting because it, it actually put some, some science and some, some data around the fact that newspapers are a really powerful medium that capture people's attention and that they, they believe in. But Ben, I've been to similar um, presentations by experts from Australia uh, hosted by the television broadcasters uh, following the behaviour of people's eyes and they say, look, this proves that when you put a TV ad that occupies the whole screen, people are really zeroing in on it in a way that they're not if they're looking at a tablet with ads up and down the sides and content all over the place. You can, can't you find research which would um, prove that one medium or another um, might engage people more or less uh, if you find the right experts? Yeah, look, you, you totally can. I think that the purpose of this research was to make sure that the conversation that people have about print, when, when is it dying conversation, it's more that they get an understanding of, of, of how it works and how, how strong a medium it is. So, so you know, th- this is just part of what we as an industry are doing and, you know, there's a large part of it is case studies that show results from advertisers that they've got from this medium and so that people, people don't discount this medium, get caught up in the hype of new shiny things and actually realise this, this, is, this is pretty powerful. Well, Sir John Higgerty, the uh, veteran UK ad man who's going to be judging your paper planes uh, competition entries... Uh, He says that, look, in a world of fake news, newspaper advertising um, sort of shines through, relates with customers who who think print is reliable. But because an ad's an ad, you're going to be persuaded it's not not news. Does the fact that papers have a history of being kind of journals of record actually lend credibility to the ads that accompany it as well in the minds of consumers? It absolutely does, and 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 I, and I would look. I would say an ad is not an ad. Um, if I compare, um, you know, a banner that flashes past me on on my newsfeed on on a, on social media versus an ad that appears in a publication that I've grown up with, and my parents grew up with, and their grandparents grew up with, and that set the agenda in my town and my city, I think they're they're quite different propositions. Oh, so, surely, but you're just giving the space to the ad. It's some agency, some creative person who's designing it, and the, you know the space would be blank if it's not there. It's not. It's not created by your papers. No, but if you've chosen to purchase the Nelson Mail, you've chosen to pay money for your local paper and you've chosen to read it because you trust the content and you want to hear what's happening in your area, and that, I think the fact that that ad is in there means that you trust it more. But now, because of the research that we've done, you know, Newsworks as an example, we can demonstrate that that's the case. We're in the business of building democracy and ensuring that we've got a country where powers held to account, etc. And people, you know, people know what's going on. The fact that as an advertiser, you're present in that environment versus one which is the polar opposite of that, we, we think is really powerful. Is there perhaps one campaign 
that sticks in your mind that you thought was a, a clever and creative and effective uh, newspaper campaign, the sort of thing you might be looking for in this Paper Planes competition? Uh, yeah, so there was a uh, campaign done by uh, Still um, out of the US um, in 2016. They they were advertising uh, leaf blowers and chainsaws, and they they ran full page ads, uh, which had their 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 tools effectively blowing away content or cutting off content. We thought it was, that was a really interesting integration with the publication. Um, there was another one in Japan a few years ago where uh, to raise awareness of recycling, they actually uh, implanted seeds into the paper so that readers could cut the paper up and plant it and, uh, and create greenery in their home. So, um, you know, umpteen examples um, in addition to those, but those are two, two pretty cool ones that stood out. And in terms of cutting through, one that did this past week was uh, the British band Coldplay taking out, I think, 15 separate ads. That, that didn't come to you and your company. It went to the uh, Otago Daily Times. But would you say that's an example, uh, albeit um, perhaps a, a left-field one, of uh, a, a creative use of, of print advertising that got noticed? Absolutely. And, and, and I spend, as part of my job, far too much time looking at um, other examples from around the world. There, there are some really cool things that people have done. So, um, yeah, I thought that was a pretty cool example. And, um, yeah, there are, there are lots more out there. Stuff's general manager of newspapers, Ben Rose, and businesses and advertisers have until the 13th of December to submit their best print campaigns and advertisements to be judged by Sir John Hegarty for the Paper Planes Awards. Well, that's all we have for you in Media Watch this week, but the Media Watch team will be back at about 10.30 next Wednesday night, talking to Karen Hay on The Lately Show with Midweek Media Watch, and then back again at the same time next Sunday for Media Watch here on RNZ National.